you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. Uh, that is where our sermon series is rooted. Uh, we're also going to look just for a second in a few other places in the Bible today. So have your Bibles ready and be ready to turn there as, as we kind of go along. You know, as, as humans, just, not, not as Christians, but, but just as humans, we, we have the ability, maybe the propensity, I should say, to be able to see the speck in our neighbor's eye and not see the log in our own eye. I think weeks like this week where there's these like great news reports and you just see like, like the depravity and the brokenness of the world, it's real easy to kind of look at it and wring our hands and, and, and fail to see our own sin. And... It reminds me of the story in Roman, uh, I'm sorry, in John chapter 8, in the very beginning where uh, Jesus is teaching in the temple, and these scribes want to catch Jesus. They're, 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 trying to, they're trying to trap him. They're trying to get him in trouble. And so they bring a woman who's a caught in adultery to him, and they basically say, hey, Moses says that this woman ought to be stoned. That's what the book of Moses says. And they say, what are you going to do? This is a trap. And Jesus takes and turns the trap around on them. He stood up and he said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and he wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. And in that moment, Jesus called her to a new way of life. He called her to faith and a new way of life. But he also showed the Pharisees that you are not self-righteous, you are in fact a sinner as well. And today as we approach this text and, and as we talk about a new way of life, I want us to deal with our sin, your sin. I, I want you to think in your head today a, as we deal with this, that the, the Holy Spirit isn't concerned in you dealing with your neighbor's sin, your wife's sin, your kid's sin, it is your sin. The Holy Spirit is going to deal in your heart today. Amen. I, don't get me wrong. It, it is totally acceptable and great to pray that the Lord would, would deal with someone else's sin. When, when we know it, it's, we pray that the Lord, if you have a wayward child or a wayward spouse or a wayward family member, that, that the Lord would deal with them. Absolutely, we would pray that. But today, I don't want us to miss that this is for you. And so as we get started in our text today, here's the big truth that I, I want us to see. Here's what I want us to, to take away from Romans uh, chapter 6, verses 12 through 14, where we're going to be today. Those who have new life in Christ will live for him and not for sin. Those who have new life in Christ will live for him and not for sin. 
Now we're gonna we're gonna start reading in Romans chapter six verse one. It's kind of been how we've approached the the Bible every time we've kind of like backed up to get some context as we break apart just a few verses in the text. And so, uh, starting with Romans six one, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now, our text for today. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. So, Diving into our text today, 12, 13, and 14 are the the verses we're going to take them apart, and we're going to take them apart pretty pretty cleanly, just 12, 13, and and 14. Diving into verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Here's my first big idea. In the old way of life, sin was your Lord. In the old way of life, think of Ephesians chapter 2. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, right? It talks about who, who did you live for, the, the prince of the power of darkness. You, you live for Satan. It is, it is sin that is Lord. You look at his words there. Look at the words that you're going to see kind of in this text kind of unfold as a slave and a master, as reign, obey. Like the, those are, are the words. So he's saying, in this new way of life, sin is not your Lord. But in the old way of life, it is. And we've got to acknowledge that. You, you need to ask yourself today, who is your master? Have you confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord? Have you confessed that he is king over your life, that he's ruler over your life? Or is it that it's your your earthly passion for sin that rules over your life? Who is your your master? Later on, 
in John chapter 8, Jesus is, is speaking again. It's a, the, the same Pharisees, the same people who were trying to, to catch him, to, to trap him. This is verse 31. He says, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say we will become free? So Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. I speak of what I've seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. When he says that, he's saying, your father is in fact Satan. And it is Satan and his lies and his schemes and, and ultimately your passion and slavery to sin that you are obeying. You are bound to. You, that that who is who has reign over you. I throw out this warning in the, in the beginning of, of today as I think about this text because, man, we, we just think of our sin differently than other people's sin. And, and when we, we, we're looking at the speck in somebody else's and, and, and not seeing that the log in ours, we just think people are worse than us because they sin differently than us. But, but I want you, you to understand something. I mean, it, it, do, it doesn't matter if the sin is of self-righteousness or it's of full-on some sort of uh, depraved, debased way of thinking, you're both on a, a, a pattern that is enslaved to sin. It's enslaved uh, to Satan, and it's his scheme, though, it, I mean, again, it could be our kind of view of, of self-works and self-righteousness, or God's going to forgive me anyway, I don't have to do it. Like, it could be on, anywhere on the spectrum that we are enslaved to sin. We look at other people who've committed horrible crimes and we, we see their sin. We look at people who have a, a different world view than us, a different way of thinking, who are enslaved to sin, who, who truly are enslaved to sin. And we look at them and we look down on them and we think if they just thought the way that we think, or if they just sinned the way that we sin, they'd be all right. And we don't ever think that, do we? Like, no. Surely you, you, you think in a self-righteous way, but if you turn it into like, hey, their sin just looks different than my sin, without being broken over your own sin. We look at those words, reign in your mortal body, to make you obey its passions. I, I, so often... In thinking through this, I just think about a, a drug addict. And I think about this chemical substance in their body that's causing their brain to react a certain way in which they crave, they desire, they run back to. I think of Paul 
uh, in the next chapter in, in, in Romans 7, where he says, the very things I, I don't want to do, I, I do. And like you begin to see there's the difference in being given over to it, it reigning in you or fighting it. The Christian life, this new way of life, we're going to have sin. We're, we're going to fall in that sin. We're, we're not perfect. You're going to commit sin. The question is, does, is it reigning over you? Is it your boss? Is it your Lord? Or when you commit it, are, are you repentant? Are you sorrowful? Do you feel guilt? Is there, is there a burden to run from it? And do you? Do, do, you, do you see the things in your life that aren't holy, that are unholy, that are unrighteous, that are unpleasing to God? And do you turn from those to run to Christ? Or do you want to wallow in them? Do you want to live in it? Do you want to go, oh, that's just who I am. That's just who I was made to be. I can't help myself. I think those are the questions you have to ask. You have to look at this, this language and say, no. Who reigns over me? What passion do I want to obey? What, what passions am I burdened for? What am I seeking? And you come at it and go, no. If you can go, oh, in the old way of life, I can see where I obeyed its passions. In the old way of life, I did. It, it rained in me, but, it, but, but Christ brought me to this place of repentance, and it's no longer the way in which I live. Yes, I sin. Yes, I'm fallen. But, but God, and there's change, and there's new direction. So in the old way of life, sin was your Lord. But at some point, you put it to death. Colossians chapter 3. We've been in Colossians. We've kind of like paralleled these texts we see in Paul's, both of these places in Paul's writing where he's kind of pointing out, um, pointing out like what it means to have new life and what regeneration looks like. He's showing in both places that you will either be enslaved to sin or you will be enslaved to Christ. It is one or the other. There is no in between. Verse 5, he says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Put it to death. This great theologian, who I'm not going to quote this week, I'm going to quote next week, had a really good quote about this, and I can't wait to share it next week. Put to death what is earthly in you. Kill it. Sexual immorality. And man, do you not have to put Jesus' ethic on this, that whoever looks at a woman in lust has committed adultery in his heart. Sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Listen to his language. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. You see the past tense? There's, there's a past tense. In these two, you once walked when you were living in them. But now, in this new way of life, listen to what he says, but, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. 
Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices. And so you can see this new way of life. It's a repentant way of life. It's, it's a turning from these things. It's a turning from anger. It, it's, a, it's a turning from sexual sin. It's turning from idolatry and evil desire. It's turning from these. It's putting away malice and hate in your heart. Remember Jesus' ethic here, whoever hates a man has committed murder in his heart. Slander. We live in a world of slander. And yet, put it away. I've seen talk from your mouth. Lying. You've you put off the old self. It's, it's past tense. And so, when we, we say this, this big idea, the old way of life, sin was your Lord, in the new way of life, this is not true anymore. Put on the new self, verse 10, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. This is, this is progressive sanctification. This is that when we've placed our faith and trust in Christ, he's renewing us. He's making us more and more and more like him until we die and meet him. And he perfects us when our bodies are glorified. So put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. The old man is gone. The new has come. This is a daily thing that you would take up your cross and follow me. And I would just note here there's not Greek and Jew, and circumcised and uncircumcised, bar barbarian, Scythian, slave are free. But Christ is all and in all. And so here we are one in Christ. There is no self-righteousness. There's no caste system. There's no hierarchy. There's, there's no uh, superior race. There's no superior class. There's no superior nation. But in Christ, we, we see our sin. We see our own brokenness. And at the foot of the cross, we lay it down, believing in the Lord Jesus that he's forgiven us our sin, that in his death, burial, and resurrection, the gospel is good news for those who make him Lord. So verse 13. So do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. So here's my second big idea. In the new way of life, Jesus is your Lord. The old way of life, sin is your Lord, ultimately Satan. In the new way of life, Jesus is Lord. He, he, he is the one. He, you're presenting not your members to sin for instruments of unrighteousness to be used as the devil would have you use, but presented to Christ to use you as he would use you. Present yourselves to God as though you have been brought from death to life. You present yourself to, as though you've been brought from death to life because here's the good news. You have. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That undeserving as we may be, he's brought us from death to life as we see in this 
text. And so present yourself to God. Bring yourself as, as, as God, your members to God, as instruments for righteousness. We read Romans 12, 1 and 2, where he makes an appeal. You appeal, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Again, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And yet, here we see this idea of regeneration, God making new, old and new. This, this idea of being transformed by the renewal of your mind, this progressive sanctification, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. In the new way of life, Jesus is your Lord. That means you obey the commands of Christ. That, that, that when you look at the things of the world and you look at the ethics of the world, you look at Jesus and the things that he said, the commands of Christ, the commissions of Christ are, are now your concern. When I say the commands of Christ, by all means, I mean the very things that Jesus said, the, the Jesus way of, of life, the ethic. When we read uh, the Sermon on the Mount, the things that he said, that's what I'm talking about. When, when, when he gives the, the greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, that's what I'm talking about. When he says to love your neighbors as yourself, that's what I'm talking about. When he says to take the, the gospel to the ends of the earth, that's what I'm talking about. But I'm also talking about the rest of Scripture. Because all Scripture is breathed out by God. It's inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so when we read, uh, particularly in how we interpret the Old Testament and how we apply the New Testament, like when we, we read those things, this is, this is how Christ prescribed, when it's prescriptive, not when it's just merely descriptive, but when it's prescriptive, the commands of Christ, this is how we ought to live. His values should be our values. His ethics should be our ethics. His, his way of living should be our way of living. His way of treating uh, neighbor and nation should be our way of treating the, our neighbors and the nations. And we would be conformed to this world. And the world is trying to conform you. I, I, want, you, I, just, I want you to see that. If, if, if nothing is, else has been clear about things that are happening in our society and the militant um, push of gender ideology, the, 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 the way in which bigotry has been, been used and, and prescribed and the way that cancel culture is done, I want you to understand the world is trying to conform you. And parents in the room, I would just say this. The world is trying to conform your kids. They're trying to disciple your kids in the ways uh, that are not Jesus' ways. Ultimately, the ways of Satan. And they're spending lots of money to do it. They're putting lots of energy to do it. This is Satan's scheme and its plan. So I, I would just, just plead with you to disciple your own children. To use the family discipleship plan. It, it's, it's, it's a 
part of our church. It's provided for you, and it will help you deal with these things and talk throughout the week with your children so that you can equip them so that the world won't conform them. So that they can, like, like they can see, like, they can be transformed by the renewal of their mind. They may discern what is the will of God and not what's the will of, will of Satan, what's the world, what's sin. Disciple your children in this, this way of, of Jesus, this new way of life. Don't let the world do it. I, I wasn't planning on saying this, but I'm going to say it. In our, in our church, there, there are people who, who public school their kids, and there are people who private school their kids, and there are people who homeschool their kids, and, and somewhere on the scale in between. I firmly believe that you can be in the center of God's will for your family in every one of those. I really do. I believe that not everybody can Pick their own path. I mean, it, it, it is a complicated world, and sometimes we make it too black and white. I, I, I want to say that in, in this moment, like, we have public school teachers in our church, and we support you, and we love you. All three of these, very easily, in the discipleship of our children, can make grave errors. Those who send their kids to Christian school, our kids are in Christian school this year. Like, we can, we can depend on the school to disciple them and, and pull off the gas and, and think, like, well, they're getting it at school. That's a mistake. They're ultimately ours to, to disciple. We can, we can homeschool them, and we can think, man, man, we're keeping them from the world. No, you're, but you're, we're, really, we're really not. We still have to equip them and show them the world's coming. And, and those who are in, in public school, um, obviously, we, you just must know that the world is coming after them really, really hard. And so in all three of those, here, here it would just be, be my plea as a church is to be a church that disciples its kids, that disciples the next generation, that no matter your circumstances, no matter where you are, that you are intentional in pouring into your children and teaching them to follow Christ and what a new way of Christ looks like. Make sure that your home looks different than the ways of the world. That your children know that, hey, my parents just don't profess Christ, that they live out Christ's commands. That our home looks different than other homes because our home obeys Jesus. Jesus is the master of our home. Jesus is reigning over our home. Jesus is reigning over our family. Let them see who, who the head of the, the family is. And so there's this new way of life. Let's live it out. Again, in Colossians chapter 3, we see in the old way of life, sin was Lord. In the new way of life, Jesus is Lord. And so you put to death sin, that means you put on. He's take off, now you put on. This is put on, then as God's chosen ones. Holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. 
And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So listen to this list of things that you're putting on. Man, I would just ask you, is this what the world around you looks like? Would you describe people around you as holy, beloved, compassion hearts, compassionate hearts, kind, humble, meek, patient, bearing with one another? And if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other, would you say this is a world of forgiveness? So if your home looked like that, if your life looked like that, would it look different from the world? Would people be able to see, like, no, this old life is is gone. That's not the way they once used to live. They live this new life. Above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Is, is love the thing that's bonding your life together in perfect harmony? That's, that's showing these fruits of the Spirit. That is the way that Paul kind of shows it in Galatians. The fruit of the Holy Spirit working in the new man. The regenerated, the regenerated life. The one who he's, he's bringing, uh, making in his likeness. Do you see love holding all that together? And so he says in verse 15, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. It is Christ who rules this new way of life. It's, it's him who rules you. It's Satan and sin no longer rule you. It is Christ who rules you. The peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. And so let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And so here's what we see, these things, these things to put on, what the Christian's new life ought to look like. Does your life look like that? Compassionate, kind, holy, humble, and meek, and patient. I don't want to just fluff your feathers. I'm about to show you, I'm about to tell you a story here in a minute that, that's, that's quite the opposite of fluffing your feathers. But I see this in a lot of you. I, I look around our church and, and, and I, I do see it. Do I see it? I, I see a bunch of sinners who are saved by the grace of God, who are chasing after Christ. And so, in one, one sense, let me sit here and just kind of like just, just pound the Bible and say, This is what we ought to be. And let me, on the other hand, sit here and say, I see Christ working in you. I see people together living a new way of life. We do it perfect? Absolutely not. Are we a perfect church? We are far from perfect. We are, we are, we are definitely not a perfect church or are a perfect people. But I sure hope that we're a bunch of people in our new way of life are claiming Jesus is Lord. 
Because here's the, here's the promise and the truth of uh, this saving good truth of the gospel. Verse 14, for sin will have no dominion over you. Since you are not under law, but under grace. It is the grace of God that Jesus Christ has dominion over you. I got done preaching a sermon in this kind of rural, persnickety, self-righteous church. And you're like, whoa, that seems harsh. But if I were to call like a buddy from home and I would say, hey, I once preached at this rural, persnickety, self-righteous church. They would say, oh, you're talking about, and they'd say it. Just just no, no doubt about it. It was a Sunday night. I had got invited to preach. This is probably like my 10th sermon ever. Maybe I was 21. I was 21. And I just like, con- like poured out like in the heart and I like confessed sin as I read it. And I'm reading it and I'm like, I'm guilty of this sin. I'm a, I'm a 21-year-old man. I struggle with this. And you would not believe the looks I started getting. I even had this guy come up afterwards and, and, and offer to counsel me so that I would sin no more. It's like, oh, sweet. In the altar call, very much kind of like, you know, we're going to sing the first, second, and fourth stanza, and the first and second stanza go by. No one comes to the altar. And the pastor stands there and he says, Now I know. That none of you have committed the sins that he's talking about. And I know that none of you are living in sin. But I know that everybody here is burdened for somebody who's living in sin. And if you've got somebody on your heart that you're praying for that's living in sin, I want you to come forward and I want you to pray for them. And everybody nearly emptied out into the altar and started praying. And I wanted to throw up. I I literally sat over to the side and looked shocked. I was like, I know these people, right? I like work with some of them. Like, I, I I know. I know stuff your wife don't know, bro. If she knew what I know, you'd be... You'd be in the doghouse. I just sat there just amazed and shocked. That they're so willing to, not, no one to come forward to, to own their own sin, but would so willingly come forward to, to, to pray that somebody else would get the speck out of their eye. When he says here, for sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law but under grace, this is what I want you to understand It is the grace of God that Jesus Christ has dominion over you. Either Satan and sin will have dominion over you, or it will be Jesus who has dominion over you. 
And, and I, I think here to Martin Luther and the bondage of the will and our propensity to sin, our, our will being bound in sin, and the thing that frees us from sin is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. It is His death, burial, and resurrection that frees us from the sin. It is by not, not our own goodness, but by the goodness of Christ. Grace is God's unmerited favor. And Christ is working in you when, when you repent of your sins and you place your faith in the Lord Jesus. He's moving and working in you. You are loving him because he's first loved you. You're re re repenting, you're turning, you're running to, and he's doing a work in you. He's transforming you. And we don't get to sit back in a self-righteous way and go, no, we're transforming ourselves. This is all about change. This is, this is simply just... This is, this is my ability to be good and to be moral. This is my behavior modification. This is me changing my, my course and my path of life. No, it is not. You are incapable of changing the course and the path of your life. It is Christ who changes you. It is Christ who brings you from death to life. Who makes the old man uh, buried with Jesus in baptism and raised to walk in a new way of life. And so live in the, the flow of that grace. Live in that grace. Think of the rules and commands of Christ Not is a burden. Don't think of his dominion as oppression. But it's God's grace and mercy on you. The gift that he gives you that you get to walk in a new way of life. Not under law and trying to hold up to its commands where uh, sin increased, the law increased. But rather here, where sin increased because of Christ Jesus, that grace abounds all the more. And so today, remember. Remember this. Those who have new life in Christ will call Jesus Lord. They will let Christ rule over them and reign over them. And they'll do it for their good, but for God's glory. They'll run from sin. They'll re re repent of sin. They'll turn from sin. Those who have new life in Christ will live for him and not for sin. Today, there are two, two, two types of people in the room. People who are enslaved to sin and people who are enslaved to Christ. Today, if you are enslaved to sin, run to Christ and experience the freedom of his grace and his dominion ruling over you, sovereign over us. We're going to sing a song of response in Christ alone. We're going to acknowledge today that it is in Christ alone our hope is found. There's nothing that we can do to earn our salvation. That it's Christ's free gift to us. Father, we love you and we praise you. And we praise you for your word. Lord, I believe every dot, every iota is true. And so, Lord, I pray that it would truly be a, 
a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. That we would hide it in our hearts, that we would cherish it. That we would let it dwell in us richly, producing uh, this fruit of this new way of life, God. That we would not sin against you. Lord, today I, I pray as a church we would be a people who are thankful for your grace and thank for, thankful for your mercy. Thankful that you're, you're changing those who've, who've believed in you. Making us more like you. And so, Father, today there are people in the room who do not know you, who, who are clinging to sin, who are obeying it, obeying the passions of their flesh. God, today I pray that they would be granted repentance and faith unto you. And so, Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing a song of response.